I say that, you laugh. <laughs> you know, um, you guys know my last name is, is, is Cornea, right? And so sometimes I'm corny. And uh, I was reading this joke book the other day, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, um, and I thought some of them were kind of applicable to us. Uh, for us, what's the number of perfection, Christians? Number seven. How can you make seven even? You take away the letter S, right? It's pretty easy to understand. How do you make Mexican chili? You take him to the North Pole, right? He's chili. Where we we are we believe in seven. Where most of us here are, you know, essays and Mexican stuff like that. Um, here's the last one, I promise. Okay, because this all have to do with study today. How many eyes are there in Mississippi? Well, I don't know for sure, but if you count the people, then multiply it by two, you'll figure out how many eyes are in Mississippi. That one was bad, huh? <laughs> No, you know what? That has to do with today's study. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Joshua chapter 8. As we look at the conquering of AI. How many eyes are there in Mississippi, man? How many eyes are there in my heart? Uh, There's just too much of me. And what God wants to do is God wants to, you know, remind me and empower me to really, truly, totally take up my cross, deny myself, and follow him. And as God finds people like that throughout the world, those within his church who begin to learn his word and live his word, then God is going to use them. God's going to bless them. It's going to be a wonderful, amazing life. And here we see in our study in Joshua chapter 8, the conquering of this uh, place called Ai, now, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking, wow, Lord, it's been a total blessing studying the book of Joshua. You know, to me, you know, if we can kind of study this book together, it will be, man, to the, you know, kind of like an equivalent of getting some type of a degree in something, you know. And, you know, you go to school, you learn these certain classes, certain lessons, certain basics about whatever it is, a topic that you're specializing in. And then when you're done, you kind of graduate from that. And for us, if we would learn the book of Joshua Um, we could actually have this in our heart, the truths that are necessary for us to experience uh, victorious Christian living, for us to not only possess the land, but to enjoy the land and to bring God great glory. And so all the lessons that we're going through in Joshua are so vital for us, and I really want to encourage you guys to take these things to heart. Um, Today we study Joshua chapter 8, and and look what it says here in verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. I want to stop right there. Because that sounds so familiar, huh, as we read through the pages of Scripture. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. The word dismayed, it means to be discouraged. And God is telling Joshua, God is telling the the people at this juncture in their journey, not to be afraid, not to be discouraged. As we read the Bible, we know it's a constant word of encouragement that comes from God to our hearts. You know, in the New King James Version, we find the phrase, do not be afraid, 48 times. We find the phrase, do not fear, 51 times. And other similar commands from God as words of encouragement are found, you know, literally hundreds of times throughout the scriptures. You've probably heard that word from the movie, uh, Facing the Giants, That 365 times in the Bible, God commands us not to be afraid. And that rather appropriately comes to us as one for every day. 
Think about that. If you woke up in the morning and it's kind of like the first thing you heard from God's lips were, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, the reason for that is so important, man. You know, why shouldn't we be afraid? Why not? You know, there's a lot of dangerous things, really. And the answer to that is pretty simple. Because God is with us. That's why we shouldn't be afraid. You know, the Bible says a perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.18. And we need to know that God loves his children perfectly, flawlessly, endlessly, unconditionally. And when you have that understanding that God loves me perfectly, flawlessly, endlessly, unconditionally, then that perfect love casts out all fear. You know, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? You know, that's why we shouldn't be afraid and we mustn't be afraid. Why? Because fear and faith are mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. Fear and faith cancel each other out. And so we shouldn't be afraid because God is with us and we mustn't be afraid because we need faith to possess the land. We need faith to enjoy the land. And if we lack faith, then we cannot and we will not possess the many, many promises of God. You know, that's why it's so important for us to not be afraid and not be dismayed. That's why God repeats it over and over and over again. Because we have the inclination to go back to a place of fear and intimidation. We have this inclination to lose heart. And God is constantly encouraging us with his love and his promises. You know, it's such a blessing. It's really encouraging to see, even if you think about this right here, the timing of the command. If you remember the context here in Joshua chapter 8, Joshua chapter 7, is immediately following the defeat at Ai. You know, there was sin in the camp. Joshua messed up. People died. It was a terrible time in the history of the country. But as they dealt honestly, passionately, and even severely with the sin, When they truly and totally repented, God was there. God is here now, ready and willing to give them another chance. And man, I'm so blessed by that. You know, sometimes our flaws and our failures and our falls, they lead to fear and we end up staying there. But, you know, I'm so glad that we serve a God of the second chance, you know. Has God ever given you a second chance to set a curiosity? Has he given you a second thousandth chance? I think he has, right? You know, I I think that God has given us that a thousand times over. The bottom line is we just need to get our hearts right before him. We need to be honest and open and willing to do what we should to willing do what is good. I love Psalm 37 and 23 and 24. Listen to what it says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. See, we have our flaws and we have our falls and we have our failures. But as Christians who get their heart right and do what we should and kind of do what's good, then God will keep you from staying down. You know, I know that sin is more than just a mistake, but I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, no matter what mistakes we make, the worst mistake of all is not to try again. You see, and why? Because the victorious Christian life is really a series of new beginnings. And that's what we see so often in the history of the Jews. 
You know, it could be a Christian, it could be a congregation, it could be a country, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, if we're willing to come clean and to cast out the sin, to weed out the wickedness, and not just willing to do so, but working to do so, actively and aggressively killing the carnality, then God will say in his amazing grace, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, because I'm with you. And that simple faith, that childlike faith, will move mountains. And God will do miracles in our life. Here we see, verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now here we see God's commands mingled with God's promises. That's usually the way it works. God says to Joshua, go to Ai, do to Ai, ambush Ai. That's his command. The promise, well, God says, I've given you the land, the city, the people, the king. The promise, the victory. And so God mingles his commands and he mingles his promises together so that we would understand the way that it works, that God really does bless obedience. You know, and we need to know this, I pray always and in all ways, that obedience to his commands by faith is the key that opens doors to possess all of his promises. Hebrews 4, verse 2, if you can, look it up later. It talks about the promises being mixed with faith. If it's not mixed with faith, you're not going to possess the promises. But if you mix it with faith, you know, then you will. Something interesting that we see here is that God now gives the soldiers the freedom to take the treasure for themselves. Look what it says in verse 2, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, in other words, wipe them out, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty or treasure for yourselves. And so now it's kind of different. God says they were to burn the city, but they can claim the spoils. And the only reason I bring that up is because if you remember in Joshua chapter 7, that was what messed Achan up. In Joshua chapter 7, the Lord said, uh, you know, the, the problem with the congregation is this guy Achan, in Joshua chapter 6, had seen the Babylonian garment, he saw the silver, he saw the gold, he took it for himself when he shouldn't have. If only Achan would have waited just a little bit longer, then he could have possessed the promise that God had for his people. If he just waited a few more days, he would have picked up all the wealth that he wanted to. And that's crazy, huh? Instead, he died. Instead, his family died. They suffered the consequences. Instead, 37 men died from the nation of Israel. Why? Because he didn't wait on the Lord. Remember this, you guys. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. When we run ahead of the Lord, we rob God, we rob ourselves, and we always hinder, hurt, and harm those around us. Wait on the Lord, the Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 14. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. 
And so a lot of times, you know, we're impetuous. We're not willing, waiting on the Lord. And I've told you guys this a million times. We have to be so careful that we don't do our thing and then ask God to bless it. You know, first wait for his marching orders. He'll, he will clearly speak to you. If you're his child, Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. You just got to make sure that you wait on the Lord. Don't go ahead. If Achan only would have waited a few more days, he wouldn't have died. That's how serious it is. And so the Lord gives them the commands. It's mingled with the promises. And so we read in verse 3, So Joshua arose, and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor, that means heroic courage, and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city. Behind the city, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And it will come about when they come out against us, as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, Ah, they're fleeing before us, as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. And so Joshua here communicates the plan to all the men of war. 30,000 men would lie in ambush behind the city. Well, Joshua then led a group of soldiers in approaching the city. After approaching the city, he would flee as if he were defeated, drawing the men of Ai out of the city, a fatal flaw on their part due to the fact that they would then experience overconfidence. And then 30,000 would take the city, set it on fire, at which point both contingencies of troops would slay the men of Ai. And so you kind of see the plan, huh? It's pretty crazy. You know, it was a good plan, and I guess you could say there was some spiritual strategy involved. Um, and that's important, you guys. You know, we need to plan. You know, if you don't plan uh, to succeed, then you basically plan to fail. You need to pray. You need to ask God for wisdom. You know, what type of vision, Lord, for my family? What type of vision, God, for this church, for this ministry? You know, you don't just kind of see, you know, whatever happens, happens. There's got to be goals. There's got to be plans. There must be a certain element of spiritual strategy on our part, right? But in looking at this right here, we need to remember at the same time that only the Lord gives the victory. Therefore, only the Lord should get the glory. And, and we see that right here. Notice again what we read in verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And so they had the strategy. They had the guys in the ambush. They had the guys that drew all the men out of the city. You know, at the right time, they would, you know, come and just, man, pretty much swallow up the guys of Ai. It was a good plan. But at the same time, there was an understanding that it was completely and totally the Lord who gave the victory. And I think that's that beautiful balance that we need to have in life. You know, we do our part, we do our best, and we commit the rest, right? Uh, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. 
but deliverance is of the Lord, the Proverbs tell us. And so we do our part. We train that horse. We feed that horse. We love that horse, right? But when it comes to the day of battle, man, it's the Lord who does the work. And I think that when you have a minister, when you have individuals, Christians, who understand that balance, then God's going to use them in a mighty way. Musicians will practice like crazy, and they'll pray over what songs they're going to sing, you know, and teachers will study their hearts out. And they'll pray and they'll cry knowing that it doesn't matter how eloquent their words will be, that it won't make a difference, even if they get all the applause of men. It doesn't matter. It's got to be God working in the heart, right? You know, sometimes God will take a very simple message and save somebody and sanctify somebody. We do our best. We commit the rest. God is the one who does the work. And therefore, that's why it's always important that we always remember that God is the only one who should ever, ever get the glory. What can man do? Man can't do anything apart from the Lord. You know, one last thing before we move on. I think it's cool to see Joshua as a man, as a leader, under command, which would then qualify him to be able to give commands. We read that there in verse 8. It says right there, According to the commandment of the Lord you shall do, See, I have commanded you. And so you see that, man, the leaders under the commandments of God. Therefore, they're able to give the commands to the people. And so what happens in verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, got some coffee and pancakes, right? Uh, I love the way Joshua always rose up early. He was excited. You know, I went to Cambodia, and I used to wake up early before I went to Cambodia. I don't anymore. I don't know what happened, man. My whole, like, clock got rearranged, and my son told me, he's all, Dad, can you wake me up at 6? And I said, I'll try. (laughs) So pray for me that I'll get back into my routine. But Joshua, you see it a lot. He rose up early in the morning. He mustered the people. He went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. And so he took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard in the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at a pointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and they fled by the way of the wilderness. And so all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. You guys can follow the story, right? You know what's going on, right? And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel, so they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, 
for I will give it into your hand. It's so cool how the Lord just says it over and over and over again, just like he does to us, over and over and over again. Victory, victory, victory for your life. Promises, goodness, amazing things for you, for your family, for the ministry. He just repeats it over and over again. And so Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. And so those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city. They took it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of this city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And then the others came out of the city against them. And so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. War. Crazy war, huh? Have you guys seen those movies, some of those movies? Lord of the Rings, some of the other ones. War is crazy. Huh? You know, when looking at this right here, we know that the people of Canaan had been warned for over 400 years. They didn't repent. And so finally, the day came. And God's judgment came upon them. Only God can judge a people like this. He can use a country if they're a theocracy. Other than that, we don't see this. This is not really for today. But what we find, you guys, is that the Lord gave them the victory in Ai. We see that Joshua again communicates the plan to all the men. And it worked just as they planned. That's the promise, you guys. When you do things God's way, God will give you the land. God will wipe out your enemies. No more wandering in the wilderness. It's an amazing grace life. Now, maybe you're here today. You don't think that's possible. Well, that's the one lie you've got to defeat right here and right now. It is possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be, you know, like Jesus. Now, thank God for our different personalities. We really need that. Some people are stranger than others, and we need that a little bit, you know. But one thing I'm learning is I want to share this with you guys, man. 
Sometimes we make an excuse and we just say, that's the way I am. And you're lacking the character of Jesus Christ. You've got to smooth out those rough edges. You've got to watch the way you talk to people. Sometimes you hurt people. You know, we've got to be like Jesus. That's what I'm saying. And we can be like Jesus. We really can. We really can have this life that God promises to us, to walk in the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, and this is the victory that he wants us to have. When we do things his way, according to his plans, he's going to bless every single time. And he's going to bring you into that land flowing with milk and honey. You know, I always like to say everything you need, everything you want. God will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, in looking at this right here, this there's so much, you know, but a few things uh, stood out to me. The first thing is this, this whole uh, uh, openness that the children of Israel had at this point in their life. You know, an openness. You know, the strategy God gave Joshua for taking Ai, if you think about it, was almost opposite the strategy he used at Jericho. You know, and you may not think that you're guilty of this, but there is a, a real tendency in our hearts to, to think, well, if that's the way that, you know, we did it last time and it was a successful, you know, event or whatever it is, then that's the way I need to do it next time. And when we begin to develop that type of mentality, we're, we're not open to what God might want us to do. You know, there was no marching around the city in broad daylight. This time they ambushed the city in the dark of night. There was no shouting this time around. Things were done kind of secretly and quietly. They didn't go forward only, you know. They drew back, capitalizing on the overconfidence of the enemy in order to enter the city. The walls didn't fall down miraculously. They had to have a strategy. You know, unlike the city of Jericho where they could not touch the treasure, this time around they were allowed to take all the treasure they could. And so you see that it was really, really different this time around. And so we need to be careful that we don't fall into ruts and routines. We need to really guard ourselves against patterns that really might not be the Lord. It's important that we seek God's will for each undertaking so that we don't depend on past victories as we plan for the future. Warren Risby said how easy it is for Christian ministries to dig their way into administrative ruts that eventually become graves. Simply because the leadership fails to discern whether God wants them to do something new. There was an openness here that we need to have. The American business leader, Bruce Barton, he said, when you're through changing, you're through. And it's true, you know. And I would add to that, when you're through listening, you're through. When you're through growing, you're through and through <laughs> completely. And that's why we always have to be open to the Lord. I remember David we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. He got a victory over the Philistines, man. And the cool thing is, when he got the victory, he didn't just do it the same way the next time. It says he inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, well, I want you to do it a little different this time. And that's the heart that we need to have. The first thing I see in this right here, amongst other things, is an openness. The second thing I see, in one sense, if I could just say this, is, uh, is the word foolishness. In verse 18 and 26, we see Joshua doing what? Stretching out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. He didn't, you know, bring it down. He didn't draw it back. 
until what? All the inhabitants of Ai were destroyed. Okay? Now, there are some guys here um, that are soldiers. And you would not like that responsibility, huh? You're like, no way, man. I want to get in the thick of things. I want to slice somebody's head off. You know, I want to, you know, get into the action. I'm not going to sit there at some place over there on some hill and just stretch out my hand for the whole battle. I mean, to me, it just seems like foolishness. I want some more hands-on, some, just some practical stuff, you know. And, and the lesson there, I think, for us is so important to understand. You know, if you get a chance, I encourage you guys, just look up the word stretch or stretch. Look up that word in the Bible, and you'll find it to be a very fascinating concept, the word stretch, whether it was Abraham stretching out his knife to offer his son or Israel stretching out their hands, you know, to bless his sons, or Moses stretching out his rod, Aaron stretching out his rod, Elijah, Elisha, and even Jesus himself did stretching exercises. Some might consider it to be foolishness, but it's not only because it was God's command. You know, we need to stretch, huh? The other day I was playing baseball. Man, I was sorry I didn't stretch. I told you guys about that, right? Did I tell you? Oh, it was awful, man. It was awful. I was out there running. All of a sudden, I felt like this hot, you know, pain in my leg. And I was telling Elzar, what is that? He's, oh, you probably, you know, strained a hamstring. And you know how it is? You get prideful, right? You're like, I can handle this. And so what I do, I went out there and I pulled the other one. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stretch. And I went home and I thought, oh, I'll never be the same. Man, it was crazy. You know, but we need to, we need to, by faith, we need to stretch out that spear and to stretch out that rod. You know, it was by faith. Just as Moses' hands, if you remember, were lifted to the heavens in Exodus 17, and as they were, Israel prevailed. There we see over Amalek. So we see something similar here. As Joshua stretches out his spear, not drawing it back until what? Until the mission's accomplished. And we know Moses is worshiping God and Joshua is depending upon God. It's the simplicity of that. You know, and there you are, and maybe for you it's going to be your prayer life. I don't know what it is, but some people might even consider that, that time that you spend in prayer as foolishness. You know, I mean, we've got so much to do. You've got a Bible study to do today. You know, you need to be in the Word. You need to read the commentaries. Listen to Chuck. Listen to Damien Kyle, whatever it is. And you do all these things, and those things are great. But you know what? You need to pray. We really need to give that a priority. It was by faith. It was a stretch that would kind of fetch the power of God. Not that God's a genie and we're not to command him, but he really is willing to move in a mighty way. By faith, we obtain the promise. So Hebrews 11:33. By faith, we subdue kingdoms. By faith, Sarah receives strength. Hebrews 11:11. 11, 11. You see, there's an openness here. There's what some might perceive to be a foolishness here. And then I love what ends up happening to the enemy. They become powerless. Look what we read right here in verse 20. It says, And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, and so they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on their pursuers. 
You see, when you do things God's way, not only will you have power, but your enemy won't. And I like that, you know. And he won't escape. There were no survivors. There were no fugitives. Wiped them out completely. Because what ends up happening, man, if you don't wipe out that whatever it is, then it rears its ugly head and it'll get you in, in a week or two weeks. And it's just there and it nags at you. And God says, that's not the type of life I want you to have. You know, we're not an alcoholic. You can go down there to the meeting and they'll say, hi, my name is Manny, you know, and I've been whatever, sober for a year. And they consider themselves an alcoholic. You're not. You know, when you come to Christ, it's a one-step thing. And he just, he kills it. He allows us to have complete victory over that. You don't have to be diagnosed with some psychological disorder. You're not dysfunctional. I mean, we're broken as, you know, human beings and we're fallen and we have a sin nature. But we don't have labels like that. We don't. When God comes into our life, he makes you whole, complete. And you don't have to have those, you know, sinful survivors. You really don't. And that's what he's saying right here is the enemy was powerless. I mean, no power. And that's what we see when we do things God's way. You know, in looking at this, we know that some people wonder how God can wipe out the people like this. And, you know, it really needs to be deeply embedded in our hearts. Otherwise, you're going to have struggles in the future. Because what's going to happen in the future, you guys? I'm telling you this right now. And it's already here, but it's going to get stronger and stronger as time progresses. Eventually, the church is going to be in the church that there's no such thing as hell. That how could a loving God send anyone to hell? You know, and so that's why it has to be deeply embedded in our heart, you know, the principle that we understand what the scripture teaches. You know, the question is not how bad things can happen to good people. It's how can good things happen to bad people? Because there are no good people. There are none. No, not one. And unless one finds themselves under the grace of God given only through the Lord Jesus Christ, such will be their fate as well. See, when we struggle with hell and judgment and things like that, it's only because we don't understand the holiness of God and how God is constantly reaching out to these people. You know, keep in mind that this was not the slaughter of innocent people, but the judgment of God on an evil society that had long resisted his grace and truth. God had waited over 400 years for these people to turn from their sins. They chose not to do so, so he judged them. It's something that God does directly or through a theocracy under his direct rule. Now, in looking at this, you guys, I also want to clarify one thing. It doesn't mean victory over Russia or North Korea. It doesn't mean victory over Pakistan or Iran. That's not what this is about. It's not that the Lord, you know, defeating the, the enemy means that he's going to get the one who keyed your car. It's not what this is talking about. It doesn't even mean that he's going to get the one that stole your car. You know, if you want God to get him, then you need to grow up. You know, David would say that, but that was before the New Testament. Those imprecatory psalms, Lord, break their teeth, crush their children into, you know, whatever pieces. That's not New Testament Christianity. There is nobody on this globe, I don't care who it is, who it is you hate. You put your finger on them and you say, they're the guilty party. There's no one on there, on earth, 
that God does not want to save. See, this is not about defeating a country or defeating that guy who came against you, maybe even in the ministry. No, it's not about victory over my worst human enemy. Really what it is, I think, is victory over me. And I've told you guys this many times, you know. I have problems. I have eye problems. And AI needs to be defeated. By God's grace and with God's help, I will. My will will be lost and I'll be sold out, subservient, surrendered to his will. And that's the one that you need to slay. Right? That's what denying yourself is all about. Uh, the whosoevers, they have that saying, murder your flesh. You know what that means, right? We're the ones that we want to have this victory over. You know, you look at this and they were brutal. And you need to be brutal. Jesus said, you know, if your right arm causes you to sin, you know, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go into heaven without an arm, without an eye. You know, if the Internet causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven without the, you know, Internet, right, than to go to hell. I got the Internet. Big deal. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need to cut off. Maybe it's a relationship that's just not of the Lord. That will get in the way. A relation, an ambition, a possession will get in the way. They're distractions. And so we need to do that spiritual surgery, right? And it's us. And God says, I'll give you victory over you, Manny. And when you go home, you're going to love your wife and you're going to be tender with her and gentle with her. And you're going to pay attention to your kids and you're going to read the Bible with them. You're going to pray over them. You're going to lay hands on them. You're going to care for people. You're going to go visit those who are sick. You're going to go and reach out to those who are poor. You're going to be like me. You're not going to be lazy. You're not going to be selfish anymore. God will change us. And that's the victory that we need. And as we close the chapter here, we see an important element in being able to do just that. Because look what it says in verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel... As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, that would be Deuteronomy chapter 27, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool and they offer it, burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded what Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. And so we're talking about having victory over AI, having victory over me. Let's just say now, you know, that's the application. Well, how can I do that? Well, I think it's cool the way that this chapter closes. You know, when Joshua is here in the middle of this military battle, he goes out of his way. He goes 30 miles to the north in order to do what? 
to obey the commandment that the Lord had given in Deuteronomy 27. He had interrupted the military activities to give Israel the opportunity to make a new commitment to the authority of Jehovah God as expressed in the law. You see, and that's what God does. You know, looking at this right here, you know, you see them there, a few components. First thing we see is a reaffirmation of the word and work of God. They were to take the stone, they were to whitewash it, and they were to write on it all the law of Moses, right? And so it's like a reaffirmation of the word of God. Something interesting, in the Near East of that day, it was customary for kings to celebrate their greatness by writing records of their military exploits on huge stones covered with plaster. But the secret of Israel's victory was not their leader or their army. It was their obedience to God's word. And that's why instead of writing, you know, the military conquest of Joshua or Moses, they wrote down the word of God. And if God has blessed this congregation, blessed your life, blessed as Christians, it's not because of some human leader. It's because, you know, we're reading his word and we're heeding his word. We're learning it and we're living it. Very, very simple. And so that's what he says. And there would be a reaffirmation of that. You know, not only the word of God, but also the work of God. In verse 31, notice again, it says, An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And you guys have probably heard this before, but, you know, they would take the rock, and they didn't have any human instrument, you know, no chisel on it, you know, no jackhammer, whatever. The reason being they did not want anything of human fingerprints, so to speak, to be a part of it. You know, let God do the work so that it's real. If you do the work, if I do the work, it's not real, and it won't last. But when God does the work, it's real, and it's lasting, and it brings him glory. Let God do the work so it's real, and then God gets the glory. After all, if you think about it, he's the only one to whom glory is due. Right? He's the only one. All of us are the same at the foot of the cross. You know, let it be a work of God for the glory of God. I read this poem earlier right here. It says, when God does a work, it's not a work from the outside in. That's the work of man. No power to win, no power over sin. When God does a work, it's not superficial, it's not artificial. The work of man merely scratches the surface. The work of man is never, ever beneficial. When God does a work, he does so from the inside out. It's his spirit, his love, his power throughout. When God, God does a work, it's real and it's strong. He'll take a life, make a life, and change all that's wrong. And so, God, I pray with all my heart today, do your work inside of me. Let it be you that I may walk and talk and live and give as Jesus would. God, help me be true when God does the work. See, and that's why no man could touch that stone. It had to be God. See, it was a reaffirmation of the work of God. It was a reaffirmation of the word of God. It was a repetition in my commitment to God. You know, we need a completed commitment to God, and we need a repeated commitment to God. Amen? We do, huh? You see, the law had been given on Mount Sinai. It was affirmed at Mount Nebo, and here it's reaffirmed at Mount Ebal. 
And that's what they're doing. They got guys over here, Mount Garrison, Mount Ebal, and they're reaffirming themselves as a nation. They're going out of their way, 30 miles out of their way to do what? To say, here I am, God, we are committed to you. We are recommitted to you. Because even as we started in this chapter right here, we see that after the fall, after the failure, there was a fresh beginning. And that's how God is. God's not, you know, three strikes and you're out. He's an amazing God. And we reaffirm our commitment to God, that covenant with God. See, it's a reaffirmation of the work and word of God, a repetition of my commitment to God, and a recognition of the blessings and cursings of God. And so if you read Deuteronomy 27, you know, they're affirming the blessings, they're affirming the cursings. And, you know, and you might wonder, well, what's that all about? And what it is, you guys, is that God wants us to know up front, ahead of time, the way that it works, and I think we know, but a lot of times we need to make it public, is there that understanding in our life that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap? You sow good seed, what you going to get? You're going to get a bad crop. That's the law of the Lord. If you sow, sow good seed, you'll get a good crop. If you sow bad seed, you'll get a bad crop. The blessings and the cursings. Now, the enemy tries to curse us. Balaam tried to curse the children of Israel, and he could not curse them, right? You know, Balaam said, how can I curse whom God has blessed? But what ended up happening? He said, well, I've got a plan. You know, just you know, send down some chicas down there, some beautiful girls, you know, and kind of put them right in front of their face. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll curse themselves. How awful that is. We don't want to curse ourselves. Looking at this right here, we see what ends up happening, the blessings and the cursings. If you're here and you're not a believer, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, the cursing is a heavy cursing. It's a place called hell. And so you want to make sure that you don't leave here tonight without being a Christian. If the non-believer persists in resisting and insisting in their own way, then they end up everlasting fire forever. You know, C.S. Lewis said there are two types of people in the world. Those who say, Lord, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, okay, have it your way. I pray that today all of us here, you guys, would give our life to Christ completely. God, give me the victory over AI. You know, this guy right here. If you're not a Christian, understand this, that God loves you. God died for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was nailed to a cross for you. And all the sins that you've ever committed were laid on him. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All God is asking you is to receive the gift of salvation. It's just an invitation. He just says, turn from your sins. Be willing to turn from them and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel, salvation, heaven, forgiveness, freedom, is a free gift that God wants to offer everyone here tonight. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, and how you want to teach us, Lord, the principles in the book of Joshua, Lord. Help me to not only, you know, 
hear it and help me not only to teach it, but Lord, let me travel that infinite chasm of really living it. Help me. Help us, Lord God, as Christians here tonight to know the love that you have, to know the grace that you have, to know the freedom and the restoration that's found in Jesus Christ. That we never, Lord, you will never, ever turn us away if we return to you. And so, Lord, bless my brothers tonight. Bless my sisters. Pray you bless this congregation, Lord. And by your spirit, Lord, do a new work. Help us to conquer AI. And, Lord, I pray, again, just in case there are any here tonight who do not know you, that tonight, Lord, they would surrender themselves to your love and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you want to receive the Lord, you can pray right where you're at. You can pray maybe with the person who brought you. You're more than welcome even to come up and to pray with us afterwards, man. But whatever you do, maybe you don't know the Lord, or maybe you've backslidden, maybe you've drifted away from the Lord, pray. Just talk to God. Pray and get your life right with the Lord right here, right now, before you leave. Okay? And let's all stand. I'll close with a song. God bless you.